welcome to the Last Looks podcast, a show where we catch up with talented hairstylists and makeup artists in the film and television industry. We'll pick their super creative brains and find out all the good stuff. Join me, your host, Jamie Lee, in finding out what's what in the hair and makeup departments around the world. And now, a word from our sponsor. Calling all hairstylists and makeup artists. Would you like to have a strong wig knowledge? A solid foundation to build your wig styling skills on? Would you like to gain the respect of your cast colleagues and employers when it comes to wig work? And feel more confident in knowing how to handle, style, and apply wigs? Well, do we have a treat for you. Introducing Last Looks Workshops. Come down to Beverly Hills and join Jamie Lee and Rob Pickens in the Last Looks Workshops experience. Spaces are limited, so be sure not to dilly-dally. For more details, visit lastlooksworkshops.com. And now, our feature presentation. Today, I'm speaking with Howard Berger, makeup designer and co-founder of K&B Effects Group based in Los Angeles. What did we chat about? Well, I think the question is, what didn't we chat about? Howard has been on an incredible career journey, one most people only dream of. So sit back, relax, or get those walking shoes on, or maybe you're in the car on your way to work. Either way, be sure to enjoy part one of a two-part chat with Howard Berger. Pictures up. Last looks. Rolling. And action. Welcome to the Last Looks podcast, Howard. Why, thank you, Jamie. It's wonderful to be here. It's wonderful to have you. Now, I would like you to finish this sentence for me, okay? Uh-huh. Once upon a time, there was a boy named Howard, and when he grew up, he wanted to be... A monster maker. A monster maker. And did oh, you understand yeah. what that was? <laughs> I totally did. Ab- absolutely. I mean, I loved movies and I loved monsters and and my dad was a a complete cinephile you know and and he was in the film industry as well he was a post-production sound editor and he loved movies and he would wake me up in the middle of the night and say you know don't tell your mom but get up because Night of the Living Dead's on television or there's a Godzilla (laughs) movie on to me so I would watch all these movies with my dad and Mm -hmm. I realized that there were people that made monsters and he he was friends with a, a distributor at 20th Century Fox, who distributed the films. And she knew I loved monsters and gave him a bunch of famous monster magazines that Forey Ackerman, you know, uh, used to publish. And I still have them. And I would just read over them and draw pictures and just dream of like being on set with Godzilla or Frankenstein's monster or what have you. So my dad explained to me that, yes, there are people that make these creatures and these monsters and do these makeups you know, for a living. And I was like, I got to do this. So this, this started about like, I don't know, maybe six years old. And by eight years old, I was like full on, like, I got to do this. And, you know, I'm, I'm lucky because I grew up here in, in Los Angeles in the San Fernando Valley. I'm, mm. I'm an original 818er, which I'm very proud of, which is an area code for those of you that aren't sure what the hell 818 <laughs> yeah. but it's, it's the original area code for the San Fernando Valley. So nice. I still have my 818. And there was a, or there is, was and is a makeup store called Friend, Sig, then it was Sig Friends Beauty Supply. And it was on the corner of Magnolia and Laurel Canyon. And it was a mm-hmm. teeny tiny little place. 
And my grandfather, who also was very supportive, took me there one day. And it was this little, little shop. And it was filled with makeup supplies for film. And there were actors in there. But there was also on the walls, like, photos of John Chambers and Jack Pierce and, and uh, you know, doing their makeups. And then all these actors' photos. And there was a specific smell of, like, powder and castor oil and and makeup supplies. And I just, it, like, overtook me. And my heart just started pounding and pounding. And I, I met one of the people that worked there who was Nanny who later years opened up his own makeup store called Namie's and Namie really, really helped me out. And he saw there was this eight year old kid who was holding like $20 in his hand and, and wanted to learn more about it. So Namie sold me Mike Westmore's book, theatrical makeup techniques. And it's like a small little book paperback with like a pink cover on it. And, and it shows you exactly in the illustrations, how to do everything, you know, remedial. And then he sold me some alginate for life casting and some plaster and some clay. And I went home and life cast my own face, you know, with the help of my dad. And yeah, it was crazy. And, and I had like a positive, it was all kind of crap, but, um, so you know, your I, dad didn't want to be your first guinea pig. No, he I was like, do it on I, yourself. Yeah, no, I want, I was like, I want to do it. I want my, I want a copy of my face and I sure wish I had that life cast. It, it crumbled it. I used it for like 300 sculptures and molds oh and God. eventually it was just going to fall apart. And, mm. uh, and it was just plaster of Paris. It wasn't like ultra cal or, you know, syntactic. Of course we didn't have that then, but you know, so I just made stuff in my bedroom and I trashed my entire bedroom. But you know, the, the really, the, the, the big thing was that I had two parents and grandparents mm. who were so supportive and saw that, you know, I love monsters and movies. I was obsessed. My mom was an artist and, and she sewed me a Dracula cape. Yeah. And I would wear it around the neighborhood. And at one point I had knocked out all my front teeth and I just had my canines. <laughs> and, and yeah, and I would Perfect. run up and yeah, I would run up and down the street in, in a Dracula cape, shorts, and cowboy boots. I remember it like it was yesterday. And uh, which I think it I'm was wear, yesterday. Yeah, I, I might wear it instead on Monday. Um, and uh, and I would run up and down and my neighbors would always say, Hi Dracula, hi Dracula. And I I I loved it. So my brain was a hundred percent monsters. And, um, and I just knew like, I'm going to do this when I grow up and I'm going to do anything between eight years old and 18 years old mm. to get to that point where I can get a job as a, a makeup artist or a makeup effects artist to make monsters. Yeah. I mean, you are so incredibly lucky that your parents just knew that it was, it, it could be a future, that it was a job and it could happen for you. Yeah. So- I, I mean, listen, I, I have friends or acquaintances rather who wanted to do the same thing and their parents weren't supportive at all. You know, it's mm-hmm. like, oh, you know, you, that's not a, you have to get yourself a real job. You have to, and they were very discouraged. And I don't know if many of them ended up in the industry, but I just really lucked out that my dad was in the business and mm-hmm. he understood the, the fever and, mm-hmm. and, and curse of wanting to be in the <laughs> film industry. And I think my folks thought like, oh, you know, it's a hobby. But then as, as I started sculpting more and more and making things, my parents were like, I think, I think Howard has an aptitude for this. Like, it's not just like making some crappy, you know, Mm. paper mache heads or whatever. He's like actually sculpting, molding, running latex, seaming, patching, painting, hair, you know, at like, (laughs) you know, under 12 years old. And I'm like, and and then, you know, I I grew up on all the Universal monster movies. Like, Creature from the Black Lagoon is my all-time favorite. I mean, I think it's perfect in every way. And then discovering the Japanese monsters, uh, you know, especially Godzilla. Mm. And then, you know, knowing who King Kong is and Mighty Joe Young. And it just grew and grew and grew. And in 1970, 
1977, which was a, well, this was actually 1976, was really pivotal because my dad took me to this, this science fiction, horror and fantasy convention at the Marriott at LAX. And yeah. Ray Harryhausen was there to talk about his life. And he was putting a book out from the land beyond beyond. And I, that's why we went and mm-hmm. I waited in line and I bought the book and I got Ray Harryhausen to sign it because I was also a huge stop motion fanatic. And then mm-hmm. I saw a sign that said, you know, makeup artist Rick Baker talking about the incredible melting man. And I was like, dad, can I go? I want to go see that. And that's where I first saw Rick Baker. And I was like, oh my God, I, he, this guy is a demigod. I mean, <laughs> Rick Baker is the greatest ever. And, and that's where I started to have a better sense of like Stan Winston and Rick Baker and Dick Smith. And, you know, and then a little bit later, you know, Greg Canham and Rob Bottin and, mm-hmm. and really, you know, broadened my horizons and who was who and really learned a lot. And in 1981, a book came out called Making a Monster by Al Taylor. And it's a really pivotal book in my life and it has all these great interviews and all these great photos and and my mom bought it for me and I kept it in my backpack and I would take it to school I would take I took it everywhere mm. you know because I it was just kind of like my it was like my bible but it yeah. was just and, and I was glad I had it because actually I would go visit like makeup stores and there might be a makeup artist in there or there was like I caught wind when I was a kid that there was a big union meeting downtown in Hollywood and I took the bus there and I waited outside of like the they rented like a movie theater and I waited outside and out walked like Dick Smith and John Chambers and I ran up to them and I got them to sign my book and I was overjoyed and and uh I mean they're like the, rock stars they are I mean and, but this is also the crazy like stalker shit that I would do um and like oh my god you know my heart would palpitate and yeah and uh, I'd see them and Rick Baker was there and you know and Tom Berman and I you know, And these guys were all really nice to me. And so I started up, you know, an acquaintance with Stan Winston because he, Mm. his shop was, was about two miles away from my house. So I could, I could walk to his shop. So I Mm. called him one day and said, hi, my name's Howard Berger. And I really want to do this. And and I have a bunch of stuff. Can I come visit? And Stan said, yeah, absolutely. So I packed up a box and walked two miles to Stan's shop on Parthenia in Tampa and knocked on the door and Stan answered and invited me in and, I remember it like it was yesterday. And, and at the time he was working on a movie called The Exterminator with, with Robert Ginty. And mm. he was building this puppet of this guy who gets his, his neck slashed and the whole head opens up. And it was amazing. He showed me all this stuff. And he was also working on a movie called Something Wicked This Way Comes, which mm. was a Disney film. And and in there, I remember it was James Cummins, who's passed away, sadly, Lance Anderson, Jim Cagle, Mike McCracken, uh, Sr., and Stan and they were all doing sculptures and I just I I didn't know what to say I so much so I felt now I feel like an idiot because Stan's like do you have any questions and I'm like I don't have any questions but I had like a hundred questions yeah it's like I have too many questions and he's like you don't have any questions I'm like no I don't have any questions but yet I was I felt like embarrassed like asking Stan every single question how old are you at this point uh I was 13 oh my goodness yeah so that was 1977 because mm. how I remember is I was bar mitzvah in 1977. And so that was 13 because I had a Star Wars theme bar mitzvah, which cool. was very exciting. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I mean, and that's another thing too. Star Wars came out and completely changed my way of thinking because I'm like, I want to work on movies like this. I mean, I'd never seen, no one had ever seen a movie like Star no. Wars. It was revolutionary and, and seeing all the creatures and then learning about Stuart Freeborn and, um, you know, it just kept going and going and going and feeding me like crazy. And, you know, and, and I finally got to meet Rick Baker after six months of stalking him. And, and you know, I couldn't catch my breath. And, 
you know, yeah. even, even now it's like, I've known Rick since again, since I was like 14 years old and oh, wow. he's always been super nice to me and I've got to work with him on Harry and the Hendersons, but I still get nervous mm. around him, you know, <laughs> I, cause I idolize him so much Yeah, and, and you know, I'll, I'll give a call and I, before I call my heart's beating really fast and I'm pretty, I'm like trying to calm myself down and it's like, it's just Rick Baker. And I'm like, I know, but Rick Baker's, you know, but he's Rick Baker, Baker for God's sake. <laughs> so I'm just such a huge fan of everything, you know, still at, at 50, at 58 years old, I'm still loving everything. Wow. So, I mean, you know, not many people can say that. So yeah, I, I mean, I, I always say, I say it more now today for some reason that I love doing <laughs> what I do. I just don't mm. always love doing it for the people that I do it for. So that's <laughs> a different sense. thing. But I, yeah. I go to, you know, like I talked to Tammy Lane, who's always my cohort on movies mm. and uh, for the last 27 years. And, and we're always saying that's like, I love this so much, but I'm not so crazy about who we're doing it for, but you know, <laughs> we'll make the best of it. Right. Yeah. So we always exactly. have a good time. We, we do great work and or try to do great work and under the, the limitations set forth by production sometimes. So. Absolutely. Now I'm curious if you're doing all these sculpts and creating all these bits and pieces as a child, when did you first kind of do a full makeup on somebody else? Well, I was lucky. Again, I'm very lucky. I have three younger sisters, and they oh. were all my guinea pigs. And I'm sure, uh, Heidi, do they feel yeah. lucky? <laughs> oh yeah, it's great. Heidi, Heather, and Holly. So, so all four of us are H's, and oh, um, cool. and so Heidi was my main practice subject. So mm-hmm. my my eldest sister, and and even if if you talk to her, she would show you half her eyebrow is still missing since she was been like six years old. I probably <laughs> I latexed it and just tore it off, and it never grew back. So oh, boy. it was like a little little piece of her eyebrow that's gone. <laughs> but yeah, I would I would do these makeups, and most of them were like casualty makeups, and then I did some like sort of out of the kit old age makeups, which are all horrible. And um, you know, just I just would play around with stuff. And I remember I I shot a bunch of photos of my sister all beaten up, and I did it like a I sculpted like a little like swollen eye and ran it in slip latex and glued it on her, and and I took the film to like a, a one hour service, and and my parents got a phone call that Uh-oh. that there was child abuse. <laughs> Although I, I would look at him and go, that looks like a shitty makeup. But um, somehow some 14-year-old kid working at Fromex, you know, uh, one-hour photo, thought it was real. And they and they and he told his manager and the manager called my parents. And my parents said, no, my son's just bizarre and loves makeup and monsters. So it's a makeup. And <laughs> That's awesome. So, but, um, but yeah, I would do everything. And I had like a little portfolio. And I, I learned early about presentation. And mm. um I tried to photograph things in the best possible light and in, in a kind of a cool scenario. And I learned that kind of from Steve Johnson, believe it or not. I When I went to go visit Rick Baker mm. when I was like 14 years old, Steve was working there at the time. And he was probably 18 years old or, or 19 years old. And he showed me his portfolio. And, and everything was so amazing and so beautiful and photographed so well. And like there was a zombie coming out of the ground and there was a tombstone and there's fog on the ground. I'm like, oh, my goodness, it's really amazing presentation. And, and that's really where I was like, okay, okay. And that's what I always tell people, you know, like, cause you know, I get a lot of emails and a lot of correspondence and it's one of the things I always point out, you know, like make sure you photograph your stuff in the best possible scenario and don't like do a makeup on your friend and take a photo in the bathroom or next to a refrigerator 
or you know, because it just doesn't. And I get a lot of those, and I'm like, okay, guys, it's, it's set a, the oh, scene, guys, set the scene. Yeah, set the scene. There you go. Set the scene. I'm going to use that. that no, that's a good one. Set the scene, and it's true, and it just it adds so much. You know, it's 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 very it's it's been very interesting to see how things have changed, and you know, from my generation to mm. the generation we're into now. But it's a whole new world. <laughs> so you leave high school. Yeah. And what do you do? Well, all through high school, I mm. maintain a correspondence with Stan Winston and Dick Smith and Rick Baker. Yeah. And I didn't think that was going away. Yeah, that never goes away. <laughs> it was 24-7. My walls yeah. were like, they, my parents didn't even realize until I moved out that there were actually walls in my room. They just thought it was just massive posters and uh, and, and just monster masks hung on the walls. But I really stayed tight with Stan Winston, who was really encouraging and very supportive through my teenage years. And he said, you know, when you graduate high school, let me know and I'll have a job for you. So 18 years old, I graduated high school and I called Stan and I said, Stan, I graduated, yada, yada, yada. And he said, okay, start tomorrow. And I was like, oh my God. And he's like, okay, now I'm going to give you the talk. We started eight o'clock, not 801, not 802, eight o'clock. I'm here, you're here. And I was like, absolutely, Stan, absolutely. So I got there every morning at 7 a.m., sat in the parking lot in case Stan got there early. And then I'd go in and get ready for the day or even start working early. Mm. And, um, but I never, ever would be late and I'm never ever late and in my life and and I think that stems also from my mom was always late <laughs> and it used to drive me nuts and embarrass me and anybody that works with me will tell you how that I am always early whenever I'm on set it's always an hour at least an hour early I get there I don't expect anybody else to but I do mm. and set the day set the scene yeah. and get everybody ready and make sure when people walk in the trailer they know where they're doing and everything's out and coffee's already on the on the brewer and mm. just get your head wrapped on it so I always say if you're on time you're late Right. And, you know, my kids have followed suit, which is wonderful. Of course, that they made fun of me all the time. Like, Dad, you know, we're three hours early to the movie. I'm like, I know, but just in case. <laughs> um, so, but but anyhow, I, I got hired at Stan Winston Studios at 18 years old. Amazing. And at the time, he was working on Aliens and Invaders from Mars. What? So, See? <laughs> yeah, it's crazy. I know. Well, people like, so what did you first work on? I'm like, uh, Invaders from Mars and Aliens, you know. And I, and I also was, I mean, I was lucky I worked at some of the other smaller shops like John Beekler, who at the time was doing all these movies for Charlie Band, like Ghoulies and Space Troopers or whatever it was, or, you know, all these crazy things, eliminators, just wacky doodle stuff. Yeah. And it was really, really fun. And I learned a lot. I got to meet a lot of great people. I met Mitch Devane, who's an amazing sculptor, and Everett Burrell, who's now a big visual effects guy, and John Volich, who since has passed away, sadly, and Bill Butler. And I mean, I met like the core heart of my friendships that have still remained. John Beekler's working on like some of the the weirdest, lamest stuff ever, but it was a great, great experience. And John was always great, but working at stands, like, you know, I got to meet all the guys, you know, the, you know, Shane Mahan and John Rosengrant and, and Alec Gillis and Tom Woodruff. And, you know, and then I met Shannon Shea and, and Steve Wang and Matt Rose and, you know, guys that, again, I've stayed in touch with my entire adult life. And it was a great experience. And, and Stan was a great, great leader. And mm. I, I really took a lot from him where, he would always say, are you having fun? Are you having fun? And I would always say, I'm really having a lot of fun. And that was what was important to Stan is, you know, we'd be learning, we'd be doing the best we can. We'd be doing our daily job, which usually were, was like from seven to seven for $450 a week flat. Yeah. But it didn't matter. But as long as we were having fun, 
And Stan was always there. And even if we had to work like a Saturday or a Sunday, which we did here and there mm. due to actor availability, Stan was always there. And he always brought food in in the mornings for all of us, you know, to have a little catered thing because he really took care of us. And he was a, a great leader. I really learned how to lead from Stan. And you so know, early on. So that's amazing. Very early on. It really yeah. stuck. And I always felt like I had leadership qualities. I just wasn't sure how to implement them. And mm-hmm. and and Stan really really led my hand and and I would just watch him. And I always said like, if I ever open up a studio of my own, I'm going to run it like Stan runs his, you know, I really Mm -hmm. liked that a lot. And it was just a great environment. And and I I grew so much. And, and in that time, then I, you know, would see the job ended and I'd go off and work for somebody else. I worked for Tom Savini and, and, Pittsburgh. And that's where I met Greg Nicotero. And we started our, our lifelong friendship together and uh, met Bob Kurtzman prior to leaving like the day before. And Bob and I started our friendship forever. It's, you know, I got to work everywhere. I worked some great people. I worked for Kevin Yeager, who I think is a, a genius beyond genius. And he was a great boss and really fun and really um, super dedicated and specific and detail orientated. You know? Yeah. Um, I mean, it certainly yeah. seems like a good way to go about it, like uh, not just staying with your one no. company and moving around and working with different people to learn different skills. And and that's how we used to do it. I mean, we mm. would just all go job to job to job. But, you know, the difference, this is something that's really important and that we were all friends and there wasn't a competition and mm. we weren't mean to one another. Mm. We, everybody was there. You know, if I wasn't sure how to do something, I could go to Steve Wang and go, Steve, I'm trying to figure this out. What, you know, how do you go about it? And Steve would explain, okay, well, I do this, this, and this. Or if I was sculpting something and I'd go to Matt Rose and go, Maddie, how do you, I don't understand how you get this to feel so, so flesh-like. And he would mm. show me and and, and, and then I'd have people that ask me questions and, and you, you start to nurture one another. We supported each other. Yeah. And, and sadly, I don't see that in the, in, in these days. I'm, yeah. It's kind of mind blowing as to yeah, what makes somebody go in the opposite direction. Well, I see a lot of people being mean yeah, and, and it really is disheartening. And when I run a team, if I find anybody is being disrespectful to anybody, hmm. uh, they're done. I will not tolerate it. I mean, after one, two conversations or yeah. warnings, rather, not conversation, warnings. Yeah. And that goes that goes from, you know, anybody on my team to being rude to accounting. And then the ultimate, ultimate death for me is being rude and disrespectful to PAs. Yeah. And if I catch wind, that person is done forever. Like, I will never talk to that person again because that shows me how shitty a person they are that mm. they can't be respectful. You know, this, you know, I look at every, I mean, we're all, we're all important to a film. Like we can't make a movie without PAs. We can't make a movie without background. Mm. You know, um, we can't make movies with everybody is essential to the filmmaking process and no one is above anybody else. And somehow people have gotten into this mindset, like, Oh, being a makeup artist, we're celebrities. No, we're not. We're there to do a job. <laughs> we do the job. And then that's that. It's like, guys, get, get some, get some perspective on what we're doing. You know, we're, we're not more important. We're not, you know, because people say like, well, that's their faces on the screen. I'm like, yes, I get it. I get it. But there's a lot to it. You know, uh, there's a lot of different departments. So we all will be respectful. And Tammy Lane and I, and really, really, really push that on set. And we get so upset. You know, I, I always say I'd rather work with somebody, maybe they're not the greatest artist or makeup artist or, Mm. you know, talent, but, they're really kind 
mm-hmm. and they work really, really hard and they're there for you opposed to somebody who's amazing, but is a real shit and, and doesn't want to be a t- part of the team and just thinks they're more important than anybody else. And I'm like, and I have had those people and I have yeah. weeded them out, you know, be it at K&B, the company I own with Greg McTerrell mm-hmm. or on set. And I mean, I really, really, really get livid. My, um, my younger brother, Bradley, is uh, he was a, a PA. He's now out of the production industry. He's doing other things these days, which is great. Yeah. But his first job, I got him his first job on Friday the 13th, part something or another. Um, <laughs> and and uh, I said, Brad, if you mistreat any background and I catch wind of it, I'm going to kick the shit out of you. Yeah. And I said, learn that. And Brad has be- became a really magnificent ad a second ad and he was always respectful and he he um you know hopefully the fear i put into him <laughs> uh lived uh but i was like don't don't do it man just be everybody you know i said everyone has a mom has a father might yeah. have a wife might have a, a, a husband has children how do you think those people surrounding them would feel if they saw you berating them mm. you know and and i think about that and it really hurts my heart yeah. And because I've seen like ADs yelling at background and I'll go over and I'll go, dude, you do that again. I'm going to knock you out. I'm dead serious. I said, I don't give a shit if I get fired. It will be worth knocking you out. I know. And, it's just the, the belittling in public. Yeah. It's like, whoa. Yeah. No, just no. being being mean. I don't yeah. I just don't Check understand. It. <laughs> well, and, you know, it's worse now after, you know, post COVID because I was really hoping like, OK, we're going to get back to life and mm. uh and you know it's a moving forward i never go we're going back to normal there's no back to anything it's like let's move forward mm-hmm. and and i was really like okay people will be really happy and and to be back and doing stuff and seeing people and you know and it was opposite people came back angry and mean and messed up and and just really i don't know it's really disheartening and i'm like I think I'm going to hire a lot less people on my cruise and I'll just do as much work as I can and make up as many people as I can. Cause I have no, you know, it's one of the things like the people on my crew, there's no like, Oh, you're doing the lead guy and that's it. You're not a personal fudge sakes. You're, you're going to do number two and mm-hmm. then you're going to go to the background tent and do some background. And that's yeah. how it's going to work. I do it. I do background and, and whatever it takes, whatever gets the job done and, yeah. and how we facilitate the needs of production is what's important. Not that, you know, I need to order my, Oh, that's the other thing too. My team is not allowed to ask any PAs for breakfast or anything or food. Mm-hmm. They have to leave the trailer and go get it. Or, or if they, show up late then they have to take their ndb which of course production loves and um and uh you know i I just i find it insulting their job the pa's job the ad department's job is not to get us food it's it's to take care of you know make sure that that everything's running smoothly and people want to get food show up early there you go get out of bed or eat something at home but it's it's a courtesy and it's stuff like that it's those little things and i try to really bestow that on the people working with us Mm. um you know and i never say for because nobody works for me but everybody i have on my crew works with me yeah and and i always like to hire people that are better than me like you know again i'm going to go back to this isn't like a tammy lane fun yeah i just think the world of her and she she's such a, a big part of my life yeah. and uh you know on at work and off work you know because she's you know uh, such a dear dear friend but you know tammy will 
she just, she, you know, she's the greatest. And I just watch what she does and she works so hard and, mm-hmm. you know, and she doesn't have those, you know, attitudes or pretenses. She's, she is in the muck 24 seven, you know, and I couldn't ask for somebody better. But yeah, I mean, I just, I looked to her and I'm like, here's somebody who's worked her way up the ladder from the bottom, like mm-hmm. came to K&B and was like literally cleaning molds and floors and until Greg took her to set one day and on vampires, John Carpenter's vampires, just to like help clean up blood. And then he kind of trusted her to do more stuff and more stuff and more stuff. And then he's, I had a show and he's like, you know, you should have you considered taking Tammy with the set. And I'm like, yeah, that sounds great. And I did. And you know, it's people like that. So, you know, I, I feel like it's sometimes like Tammy and I could just do a show completely together because, you know, I mean, just do everything. Yeah. Um, and then we can avoid any sort of issues, but just you know. negative vibe. Yeah, I don't like it. But what's good is also we hire people that we know very well. Yeah, you know, I have a great cachet of people that we mm. bring in. Like you know, if we're going to do Orville, you know, the Orville with Seth MacFarlane, mm. I always call like Todd McIntosh and and Steve Prouty and Jamie Kelman and Chris Gallagher and you know people that you know Erica Prius, people that are really really super super strong and super super kind. Yeah. And fun people, you know, and I just want to, I want to be on set now and hang out with my buddies. That's what I like to do. It's fun. I always say number one priority is fun. And then we'll get around to the work. We all know how to do the work and we're really good at it, but let's first have fun. It's got to be fun. Yeah. So and you can do like it at that. the same time. No problem. Oh, absolutely. 100%. <laughs> so going back to K&B, how yeah. did that come about? What made you think of starting that? <laughs> well, I met Bob Kurtzman. I got hired to go to Pittsburgh to work with Tom mm. Savini on Day of the Dead back in 1984. And I was working for John Beekler at the time. So I told John, I'm going to leave. I'm going to go do the show, my first location job. And John said, okay, well, that's great. And uh, But you need to find somebody to replace you. And the day before, this this doofus guy, Bob Kurtzman, <laughs> had been in the mm-hmm. shop. He had just graduated from Joe Belasco. And I saw his card and I'm like, well, you know, I'm sure Bob can work here at Beekler's. It'll be great. So I called Bob and he's like, you know, offered him my position. He said, yes. And he and I met up for dinner that night and hit it off. And the next morning I was on a plane to, to Pittsburgh, right off the plane. I met Greg Nicotero and we became best friends. And so anyhow, you know, after that show ended, I told Greg, I said, you should move to LA, dude. Let's move move to LA and you'll meet my friend Bob Kurtzman and why don't we get a house and we'll rent it all together and that's what we did. We rented a house in Reseda, California. It was it was a terrible house. It was like one bathroom and three bedrooms for three guys and <laughs> and uh, you know, but we were young and had no money and you know, we were all poor because we were probably making th- literally $300 a week flat. Yeah. Um and uh, but that didn't matter because we could pay our rent and buy beer. And Kentucky Fried Chicken. Yeah. yeah, And what more do you need in life? (laughs) So we all started working together. And then we worked together over at Mark Showstrom's on Evil Dead 2 Mm -hmm. and really kind of ran the roost on that show. Even though it was Mark's show, we were on set most of the time, Greg, Bob, and myself orchestrating Mm -hmm. everything. And and Mark was working on the Henrietta uh, makeup. There was a lot of prep on that. So he was pre-painting everything. He'd he'd be in, in the room doing that. And Bob, Greg, and I were running the set for him. Then uh, that show ended, and then Greg and I went on to go do Creep Show 2 in mm. Prescott, Arizona. Bob didn't want to go. He had just met somebody, and he's like, oh, no, dude, I don't want to do more location. I'm going to go back home with Kathy. I'm like, okay, sounds good. So <laughs> Greg and I did that, and then we came back, and you know, we worked a little bit here and there, and I was working for Kevin Yeager, and they were back working at Mark Showstrom's on Phantasm 2 and Deep Star 6. And we met for dinner one night, and I said, why don't we – 
why don't we take a chance and start our own company? And Greg's like, yeah, I think it's time because we're supervising everybody's shows. Mm -hmm. We're doing all the, all the work. We're, you know, communicating and connecting with production and the director to make it all happen every day. Mm -hmm. And we're not earning any money really. And I mean, at the most, I think I was making $800 flat a week and doing ridiculous hours on set. Yeah. You know, we decided to start K&B and we took a chance and a friend of ours, Scott Spiegel, who was the co-writer of Evil Dead 2, had mm -hmm. called Greg and said, hey, I'm going to do this movie called Intruder. It has no money. Uh, we're just shooting it in a, an old grocery store and it's about a killer and we need some makeup effects. Can you recommend anyone? And Greg said, yes, me, Howard and Bob, mm. you know? And so we did it for like $700 and, but we said, Hey, we want, or in lieu of money, we want a credit and we want a front screen credit. That's a special makeup effects by Kurtzman, Nicotero and Berger EFX group. That's what it was when we were all three together and we got our first credit. And then word spread that, hey, there's these new guys in town. They're really cost effective and they do great work. And, you know, they're super nice guys and they're super fun to work with. And we just kept doing all these really low budget horror films, but it didn't matter. And then we got a small little shop and then we got a bigger shop and then we got a bigger shop and a bigger shop and a bigger shop. And, <laughs> and you know, at some point, I want to say it was like 18 years ago, Bob left the company to go uh, raise his kids back in Ohio where he was from. Yeah. And so then it just became Greg and I. And we were on the cusp of, you know, doing so many things like, you know, these big films and connecting with, uh, you know, Robert Rodriguez and Andrew Adamson. And, you know, in that period, we ended up really kicking into high gear and moving out of like these low budget horror films into bigger films like Sin City and, and Dust Till Dawn and the Chronicles of Narnia and, you know, all the stuff Quentin was doing. And, oh, the good stuff. So, yeah, really great stuff. And we started to, you know, we went from like, oh, the gore guys to like, these guys are serious, you know? Yeah. So, yeah, for Greg and I, it's been 30, it's 34 years this uh, in February, this month, uh, 2022. So wow. 34 years, we've had K&B. A lot of people thought we were, we were going to fail right out of the gate. Nice. And made fun <laughs> of us. But I think most of those people are not in the industry anymore. Okay. And, um, and never got to live their dream or never opened up a shop. So, but, you know, Greg and I, we, we maintained our, our dream and kept moving yeah. forward and built a, I think a really cool company and we've employed thousands of people and we've worked on hundreds and hundreds of movies and TV shows and, and I think, you know, developed some really cool things and, and, you know, I hope the people that worked with us enjoyed it and, and learned a lot and also felt like they were part of the K&B family, you know, while they were at, at K&B. So, oh, sure. um, and that's how it started. And, and the, the thing too is I think Greg and I always kept in mind that, that we were not bigger than the company. Mm. Which which means that no matter what, the company was the main priority. It wasn't about Greg or it wasn't about me or, you know, and, and when Greg and I are not on set, we're at the shop. Yeah. And, and we love being at the shop and we love being with everybody. We love working in the shop and, you know, doing what we need to do. So if Greg is not on location, Greg's there at 7 a.m. And he mm -hmm. leaves, you know, at 4 p.m. Same as me. I get there around the same time. And we work all day with the guys. And it's really, really great. I, I saw in the... 90s, some of my competition or my competitors or mm. fellow shop mates uh, who had studios felt they were bigger than the shop. And I saw the shop start to fall apart and go out of business. And it was because they're like, oh, the shop runs itself, you know? And, uh, you know, I don't, I don't know, know what runs that. itself. Yeah, nothing runs. <laughs> you have to, you know, my dad taught me early, like, no one cares more about your business than you. 
Yeah. And, and that stuck with me and it's true. And that's why, you know, and I saw Stan at the shop every single day, I saw Rick Baker mm. at the shop every single day, Kevin Yeager. There wasn't any, anybody I worked for when I was coming up those, those six, seven years, first years of working in the industry yeah. that were not at the studio every day mm. working. And, and that really made an impression on me. And so, you know, I mean, I'm up at, 5.30 every morning. I, you know, we can be opens at 7 a.m. and I'm there by 6.30 and I go in the sculpting room and I, I start the coffee <laughs> and uh, the sculptors, the pampered sculptors come in and they have coffee in the morning. And uh, no, they're not pampered. They're all, they're all dynamite guys and, yeah. uh, and gals. So yeah, you know, I mean, I just, and I live my life this way. I have a great wife who keeps me super grounded and, you know, my kids and, and I just, I don't know. I just like for my birthday this year, which was mm. December, I bought myself a birthday present. I bought like a Darth Vader and a stormtrooper helmet that has a sound chip. And like, to me, that was super fun. I'm looking at him right now in my office. I'm like, how cool is that? And I literally walked around like for two days wearing the Darth Vader helmet, torturing okay. my wife yeah. and you know, telling her like, you must listen to me. You must make dinner now or you will suffer. You know, she's like, Howard, just go away. Okay. Yeah. You know, leave it to me. You know, like, you're part of a rebel. Else. Oh yeah. Yeah. But she's used to it. You know, I walk around if I, and I love masks. Like I love ma monster masks, you know, and I used to make them all the time. I should probably do it still. And, uh, always wearing masks and my wife's like can you not come around the corner and look at me quietly wearing that mask I'm like, total you know, creeper oh yeah totally and <laughs> outside by the mailbox at night you know wearing a mask people are like what the hell it's just but yeah it's still it's still part of being that kid you know i still feel mm. like you know i'm that 13 year old kid bouncing up and down and, and a lot of the guys in my industry that were like i always look at norman cabrera who's an unbelievable artist and and god he's so a great and he is like the most bouncy kid in the world and he's as old as me we're both like 57 58 yeah. and i just always like norman's always excited and bouncy and and it's so fun to watch and yeah it's just it's just it's great our dreams came true we grew up and became monster makers and we're still yeah. monster makers and and uh you know maybe the job doesn't always entail being a monster maker but you know i love makeup i love being a department head i love running it all i love connecting with production and i love actors and yeah there's there's you know i mean it's a lot to juggle isn't it it's kind it of is. it's great that you have a business partner with the shop and everything because like oh man i can't even imagine doing that well yeah and i and i've got great people that help run i got a, I, there's a, a really talented guy named carrie jones who, mm -hmm. who is our shop supervisor and i you know greg and i couldn't do it without him and you know we have a great office staff with uh, veronica owens and and uh reggie and and all of them and, and Randy and, you know, we, ha we just have people that are, are there to support us. And that's, what's important. They're, they understand the importance of keeping the shop going in the, in the manner Greg and I want it to go. Yeah. And they're really great. And we couldn't do it. Cause I mean, Greg and I are rarely in the shop together. I've been lucky to be home right now and, mm. and be in the shop and Greg should be back, you know, in March sometime. And, uh, and he'll probably be back for a short period of time. But, you know, I mean, nowadays the job takes us away. We just have to go wherever we have to go to, you know, do it, which is great. But yeah, when we get back to the shop, it's really fun. We're so happy to be back and, and uh, it's exciting and we get to see all the gang and it's good. It's well, that support must go both ways. The, them yes. supporting you, they must feel supported in return to be able to 
I hope so. <laughs> I'm, I'm sure. Otherwise, maybe they wouldn't be there. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, listen, you know, again, it's different mindsets for different age groups. Mm. So, you know, I've got people at the shop that have worked there for 30 years yeah. and they are in the same mindset I am. And then sometimes we'll test the waters and have people that aren't the same mindset. And that mm. could become, it's a little disheartening and it's just a different way of thinking and a different way people were raised and what they were exposed to growing up and, and whatever their, their influences were and whoever, you know, inspired them were obviously different than the, the types of people we had. Yeah. Just the expectations too, of what, what they should be getting out of something maybe. Well, yeah, and it, and the fact is, to me, I just always feel grateful to be working in the film industry, where mm. I think sometimes people will come in and not understand why are they not in the art room or why are they not going to set? And it's like, well, you just got out of school. Yeah. And <laughs> Hang on. This is your first or second job, and you don't know much. But why don't you take this opportunity to learn and look at what you have instead of worrying so much about what you don't have? It's tough. It's tough. I was talking to a couple other makeup people about this, like, who are we going to pass the baton to? Mm. You know, because I mean, we're not going to do this forever. You know, Greg and I aren't going to be like, you know, when we're 80 years yeah. old in the, in the shop, for goodness sakes. Mm. Um, <laughs> hopefully when we're 65, we won't be in the shop. But, uh, <laughs> but you know, I mean, there are people like there, there's Arian, who is amazing. Mike Marino, who's amazing. You know, there's a, there's a handful of people, you know, that are certainly up and comers, you know. I mean, they're beyond up and comers, actually. Excuse me. They're, 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 the, they're the other generation, but they're so great and have the right mindset. Like to me, I don't, you know, Mike Marino, who's based in, in New York, yeah. who did Coming to America and he's got Batman coming out. And mm-hmm. I mean, he's just, he knocks it out of the park every single time. And I just look at him and I'm like, that's like, he's the new Dick Smith to me. Like his work is that level and, and, and maybe, and, and beyond, mm. you know, cause Mike has really pushed himself, him and Mike Fontaine and their company, you know, pro effects. And I'm just always blown away by, by the work they do. And, and then Arian, you know, is just amazing as well. And there's these guys that are just reinventing the wheel and it makes, that makes me super, super happy. And, and they have the right mindset and they had the right influences like Dick Smith and Rick Baker. And yeah. I was Stan about Winston. to say that. Cause I, I spoke to Mike and talking to him about his story, very similar to yours as well. Mm-hmm. Just like finding those mentors and, and yeah. just, sucking them dry of information like tell me everything um and him talking about how messed up the rug in his bedroom was because of how much stuff he'd spilt on it because he was you know building and sculpting and doing everything Mm -hmm. in his bedroom as a kid so yeah it's it's nice to hear that that passion and that drive is still kind of continuing through oh absolutely and, 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 and i think you know i listened to the the podcast with mike matter of fact and it's true you know here's the difference like we all taught ourselves mm. we all destroyed our bedrooms mm. we all destroyed our mother's ovens yeah but the i think it's it's the education that we have a lot of people coming out of into the into the industry who stem from the schools mm. and they go into it having like i think i like this mm. And, and they do it and they learn the curriculum and it's all they know. They don't go home and, I mean, I'm generalizing. Yeah. I, I, from what I have observed yeah. by looking at people's books, all that a lot of them have is just the work they've done at the school and within the, the half to of the curriculum. And I, I always ask, like, I don't want to see what you did at school. Mm. I want to see what you did when you went home. Yeah. And don't show very- me your bare minimum. 
Exactly. And, <laughs> and I always stress, like, you know, they always go, like, well, what should I have in my portfolio? I said, there's not like a prerequisite. Like, you need to have one Planet of the Apes makeup and one scabbed knee and, and uh, you know, a vampire. It's like you need to figure out what you want in your book and, and what you feel best represents you. And I always say, show me quality, not mm-hmm. quantity. I would rather see five photos of something really good than 20 photos of something really crap. Yeah. And, and like, I don't need to see... 30 photos of one sculpture like and this is what it looks like three quarter and this is what it looks like back of the head i'm like i don't give a flying shit yeah how about let's do it and show me the finished thing mm-hmm. and then i know that you've sculpted it molded it ran it painted it haired it da 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 seen it through yeah i also have an aversion to and i think it's a great training ground like rbfx which i think is great roland is very smart he produces really beautiful stock pieces i always look at him like god it's really great and he's got amazing sculptors providing but i wish that people would understand that including those makeups that roland and his artist designed and Mm. and did all the work for sculpted molded and ran they don't apply to in my mind, don't apply as viable pieces of your work because you, you as the makeup artist, you glued it down and painted it mm-hmm. and that's it. And, and it's kind of, uh, it's kind of paint by numbers. It's like, if you brought me a paint by numbers painting, and went, look what I painted. Yeah. But you didn't, you didn't do it. You didn't design it. You didn't figure it out. You didn't troubleshoot it. You, you bought these appliances and you glued them to somebody's face and you, did a good job or bad job and then took photos and posted them all over Instagram. And, and I just don't feel it counts. I don't, I don't, uh, I don't count it like, Oh wow, you really did a great job applying Roland's design and sculpture and mold making and run. It's just, it's disheartening to me. And I will always say to people like, do your own thing, sculpt, sculpt something. You know, even if it's just a nose, or not just even noses are the hardest things. Yeah. Face. Nothing and, and nothing is just a, and nothing is simple. Everything yeah. is difficult. Trust yeah. me. Everything is a nightmare. <laughs> you know, even like, hey, we gotta rig up a blood tube. Oh God, this is gonna suck. You know. Tammy, you do it. But yeah, I just I really wish that people weren't so institutionalized about it. Like go outside your your comfort zone. Go outside the safety of of whatever it is. And and you know, maybe instead of spending a lot of money at a makeup school, maybe mm. take half that money and go buy supplies and do stuff in your bedroom or do it in your apartment or do it in your house or just do stuff on your own because you're going you're gonna to learn so much more. Like early on when you asked how I started and mm. I, I got that book, Mike Westmore's Theatrical Makeup Techniques, yeah. I did everything in the book the way it was written. And then the next time I changed things that I felt worked better for me. And then so on and so on. So I ended up developing my own thing. Same with the Dick Smith makeup course. There were times where I would like reference stuff and I do it and it didn't quite work for me. And then I would alter it. And I'm sure Mike Marino will say the same thing. Mm. And you, just because it worked for Dick Smith doesn't mean it works for you. Yeah. And then you find different ways like, ah, oh, you know what, I, if I add this much to the blood, you know, photo flow or whatever, it works actually better for me, you know, or I like this color better. And you, you have to, you know, fine tune it for what works best for you. It's not like this is exactly the way Dick says it has to be. And that's that. I mean, Dick encouraged people to like, here's the base and now figure out the rest of the shit, you know? Yeah. And I wish it was more of that because I I see people now who don't make the effort to learn on their own. They have to be told everything. And with the advent of, you know, YouTube and all this, like, well, I'm going to watch a couple of YouTube videos. I'm like, how about not? How about, you know, I've given people head forms and clay. Mm. And I said, go sculpt something tonight. 
And then like a week later, I'm like, did you do anything? No, not yet. I'm, I'm just kind of thinking about it. I'm like, you know what? That's a totally lame excuse. <laughs> Go home, open the bag and start throwing clay on the head. And if it sucks, take it, tear it off and do it again. But yeah. what are you afraid of? I stop being so afraid and know it. Maybe that has to do with Instagram and, and Facebook. People post stuff and they get, you know, negative criticism. Mm. Well, don't post everything. Why are you posting shit? You know, I've seen people post things that have like the worst edges and, and they point out like really bad edges today, but wanted to post this. I'm like, why are you posting that? That doesn't make me want to hire you. It's like, you obviously don't know how to glue pieces down. So why don't you do a good job and then send me photos instead of posting them for your 357 followers to like or not like. And then you feel depressed and you're like, I must have sucked. You know, just, it's just not the way to do it. It's, it's, it's frustrating because I like, I want to make sure this industry continues forward. Mm. But, you know, Mike Marino and Arian can't do it by themselves. <laughs> so no. I was going to say about the, the pre-made pieces and stuff. I mean, even if an artist, they know that they don't necessarily want to sculpt or actually design or create, but they want to be the ones applying and painting. Yes. Um, do you think it's good for them to do all the stuff that sure. needs to be done beforehand just to get a feel for like Absolutely. if they do get pieces that aren't working right, maybe they'll have a better idea of why? Yeah. I totally agree. I totally agree. And I have, and again, I've given pieces to people at K and B and I'm like, Hey, take these and go practice. Like, mm. you know, and then they do or they don't. Usually they don't, you know, I, it's frustrating during the pandemic. I got a call from a makeup artist, a diverse makeup artist in my union who mm. said, you know, you never hire so-and-so, so-and-so, so-and-so. And I said, well, I didn't realize so-and-so, so-and-so, so-and-so did makeup effects or was even interested. They've never reached out to me. Well, they don't, you know, they're, they're afraid to. And I said, well, why is this my problem if they're afraid to reach out to me to say, oh, we'd love to learn how to do this. Mm. And I said, okay, well, I'm going to tell you what, I'm not working, I know, for the next six months because yeah. I'm stuck in my house and so is everybody else. So mm. I sent out, and this is, I t I've said this to a couple people and it's, I was felt so discouraged. I sent out 60 emails to makeup artists in Local 706 that felt like they hadn't had the opportunity to know how to do this. Yeah. And I said in my email, I am willing to mentor anybody who's interested during the pandemic and, and forward and please respond. And I will, I will, we'll do a lesson a day via zoom. I'm great with it. I'll do one-on-one. -on -one. I can do whatever I said. I'm just, I'm willing. I hear from the community that you guys don't have the opportunity. So I'm going to give the opportunity. So I emailed 60 members. Yeah. An opportunity, I, which like yeah, which is unheard of. <laughs> yeah. And my wife's like, what are you doing? I'm like, I got to do this. I just got to do this. So out of 60, I heard from four people mm -hmm. and I handed out, uh, first an out of the kit assignment, like, you know, and, and all four did it and, and they did a good job. And I, you know, said, Oh, we'll try this, this, and this. And then I went to three and then I went to two and then I went to one mm -hmm. and I even like went to the shop <laughs> and I pulled transfers mm. and put them in a box and, and put, you know, of, of different skin tones, you yeah. know, uh, because I felt like it was important to see how this might work and this might work on somebody. And I FedEx the boxes to everybody who was, and, you know, I think like one or two people did it and then that was about it. And, and, uh, I mean, I've stayed in touch with a couple of them, which has been great. A couple of the makeup artists, but I'm like, I'm being told by somebody that 
diverse makeup artists in 706 don't get opportunity. And I gave an opportunity to 60 people who mm -hmm. didn't respond. And I had four people who were really good people, but it then just kind of petered out, not because of me. You know, I had everything set to go. Other transfers, I had silicone appliances, I had foam appliances, I was send blood to people. Um, and I was like, wow, well, that tells me a lot. That tells me a lot. So, you know, I mean, anybody that's listening to this should realize that if they want to make this happen, they got to, they got to do it. They got to step up to the plate. It's not going to be handed to you. It's, you don't deserve anything. Nobody deserves anything. Everybody has to earn it, you know? And, and, and I, that's a word I hate, deserve. When I'm like, well, I deserve this. That's a hideous word. There are two words I hate the most, deserve and alimony. So those are horrible. <laughs> and, and luckily, uh, alimony is not in my vocabulary anymore, thank God. Um, but uh, but uh, deserve is a disgusting, vile word because nobody deserves anything. And you earn it. And so if you want to get to a level, if you want to get hired to work on a big prosthetic show, then you have to earn it. It's not going to be handed yeah. to you. I, you got to go bust some doors down, man. <laughs> Dude, listen, I'm trying. You know, I, I, I hire people based on their merit. Yeah. And that's what I look at. And I'm open to whatever. I mean, you, you know this, Jamie. The world of makeup and hair is like the island of misfit toys. I mean, it is, <laughs> it is a amalgamation of every, every walk of life, mm -hmm. you know? And that's why I always get, like, upset. We're like, you know, Hollywood is not inclusive. I'm like, have you been to a makeup trailer lately? <laughs> yeah. It's like, I mean – if you're into this, then that's all, that's the requirement. Yeah. You know, we don't look for specifics. Somebody, I'm probably sparking some sort of like issue here talking like this, but I, I, I have to, because it's so upsetting to me, but I've had productions and I'm sure all of us have where production has come to said, you really need to hire people of diversity. And I'm like, I do hire people. I've been hiring people of diversity since the eighties, mm. since I started. Yeah. And, and I said, I can't pull people out of, their home and go today you're going to be a makeup effects artist sadly in local 706 and i don't know how it is in the other unions but there is very very few makeup effects artists of diversity and carrie jones who i said works at knp is 706 and he he's one of the very few people of color that do what we do mm. and and on the last job i had a producer say you need to bring in black people to work in your department. I said, there are no black people to work in my department. And I said, I can't go and pull people out of their homes and put a brush in their hand and make them stand in the trailer and work 18 hours a day if they don't have the interest in doing it. I said, you know, I, I think the, the initiative is 100% correct. And we should be opening up the doors for anybody that wants to do this and, and has the aptitude to do this. But they're doing it the wrong way. The industry is doing it the wrong way. The studios are enforcing this to the point of, of detriment to the to the production and to the individual departments. And I think and it, it might just take time too, though, Howard. Like, yeah, no, I, I agree. Finally, switched on the light bulb and gone. Oh, maybe we need to do this. Then hopefully things will move more in that direction, right? Absolutely. I think if, if people see somebody like them doing a specific job, mm -hmm. they're more apt to going, oh, well, shit, I guess I can do it. I mean, how many black children saw Obama and said, so I can be president of the United States? Yeah. You know, that's a, that is a massive impact and, and important. And I've, I've given a lot of um, 
a lot of like in-person demos lately to people that may have not been exposed to this. And maybe that sparks something in their minds and saying over and over again, anybody can do this. If you want to do this, you can do this. Anybody. It's not just for people like me. It's, it's people, uh, uh, anything, you know? Mm. Um, and, and we encourage it, you know, I, I think it's so important, but, but the studios have, have not done this the right way and, and they should let the crew people and the artists really promote it. And, and because, you know, you want to get those people and you want to get the people that, that want to do it, that have an aptitude for it. You know um, it's, it's a difficult thing. And, and I, I think everybody's heart's in the right place. It's just, sometimes you can't, you can't dictate it to people and it's going to have a reverse effect. And listen, my, my crews are primarily female. Mm-hmm. for some reason i don't know why they just are because i find that i really like working with those you know those artists not i don't care if they're men women you know whatever i don't really give a crap as long as they can come and do the job and they're great people you yeah. know and i've found some great people of all different types all well, I different mean, races however many years ago you wouldn't have had a team of women well there weren't a lot of women yeah. you know so- uh, aaron, yeah aaron Kruger and camille calve were the first women in the shops mm-hmm. back in the eighties and, and they rose and worked hard and they earned and, and with the rest of us, Aaron mm-hmm. worked side by side with me and everybody else. And she got to this, a level at a certain point as we all did at a certain point. And she, she made her department very diverse and approachable and gave people opportunity. We all have given people opportunity. You just got to keep with it. You know, it's not going to all happen overnight. You know, it's just a mindset. You know, you got to just get into it and go like, I, I, this is what I got. It's got to be in your blood too. Like you have to like, you're going to die if you don't do makeup or makeup effects or hair or what have you. Like I'm like feverish about it. And those are the people I like to surround myself with are people that are love movies and and love doing this and, uh, and are great at it. And so, you know, it's, it's a prickly pear right now. And, and, you know, I mean, I'm a, I'm a white middle-aged Jew from the Valley. So I like <laughs> the last guy people really want to hire supposedly, but, <laughs> but, you know, I, I make my presence known on set and, and, uh, and I, I do, I try to lift as many people up as I can. All of us do. And within my generation, we lift, you know, you got, you got to be lifted up, you know, but you, but you have to, you have to step up to mm-hmm. be lifted up. I can't lift you up if you're not stepping up. Yeah. It's it's vitally important. That's something Todd McIntosh had said to me when we had this conversation. And, and he's like, you have to step up to be lifted up. And I'm like, 100%. And I've given those opportunities a million times. And sometimes people will take it, but most times people won't. And it's it's very uh, deflating and disappointing. I know. You just got to remember the times that they do, though. Oh, I do. I do. Yeah. I'm very grateful. And know what? Those people keep working with me. Yeah. They do. I'm like, I made a list last night of two projects I'm doing next. Mm. And I made a list and they were all the people that stepped up and did a great job. And they're going to be on the next shows. Yeah. Yeah. But you're right. No, I always, I'm listen. I'm a very positive person and I'm always thinking the positive and I'm like always hoping that everybody, everybody else will, you know, I don't do well with negativity on any level. I don't like it. And uh, yeah, it's just, uh, you know, I just, I, you know, I just, hope this continues on and we are able to perpetuate our industry and there's great people that we can hire and bring in and and pass the baton to because it's very important i think so yeah for 
links to see more about our guests, go to our Instagram at The Last Looks Podcast or our website, thelastlookspodcast.com. If you want to keep up with new episodes being released, be sure to subscribe through Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon, Google Play, YouTube, or any podcast streaming platform. And remember, if you're enjoying the show, share it. The Last Looks Podcast would like to thank Brett Stanley and Sabrina Castro. The song Fun Time by DJ Quads. Thanks for listening. Until next time. That's a wrap, people. 